almost four full weeks past election day, and we still don't know how this election is going to turn out. Things are not settled. Uh, the winner is not clear. It's still uncertain. Recounts and legal challenges are everywhere abounding. Uh, and certainly, lots of people feel that the election is not over, that the vote has been seriously corrupted, and that the election is ultimately flawed. Having said all of that, and I know that you surely are aware of all those things because that's about all we're hearing in the news. Having said all of that, you may be surprised to hear me say this. The election's over and no recount is necessary. So, oh, now, come on, wait just a minute here, fella. Uh, there's all kinds of evidence that the election is not over. We have eyewitnesses who come forth who told about fraudulent activities that they have personally witnessed in regards to the counting of the votes. There has been a lot of data analysis which says that the, the way the numbers turn out just actually are an impossibility. There's all the data, there's a lot of data, and there are all kinds of experts who have been consulted and, and have said, this is not right. This is not a finished deal. The election's not over. I'm telling you, the election is over. And no recount is necessary. Now, what you may have already guessed is, I'm not talking about the presidential election. I'm not talking about that election. The election we're talking about has nothing to do with who will ultimately be the president of the United States. We're talking about God's election we're talking about God's election of those who will be eternally saved. That's the election we have in mind when we say the election is over. No recount is necessary. This election is way more important than the election for president that we've all been talking about for four weeks now and certainly way even before that. As important as we may feel that election is, this one is way off the chart more important than that. And that's what we want to talk about for a few minutes this morning, God's election. We stop here just briefly to say thank you to everybody who's here. We have a significantly larger crowd. We don't have our normal crowd back yet, but we have a significantly larger crowd that has been here for the last couple of weeks. And all of that indicates that there have been a lot of answered prayers. People are doing better and recovering from the virus we were badly affected by the virus. There's no denying that here at College View. But thankfully, uh, we, we have done well overall, and people are recovering. There's still a few who are out, still some who are uh, self-quarantining. Uh, but overall, we are on the mend. And, and could we say herd immunity seems like a really good thing? We're all in favor of herd immunity, and I, I feel like we're going to be moving forward with a significant herd immunity based upon what we've been through the last two or three weeks. But we thank you all for being here, and we appreciate the encouragement that you give to all the rest of us by virtue of your presence here today. Thanks for joining us in worship to God. To our visitors, thank you very much. Please come again. All right, what about this election that we're talking about, the election that is over First of all, let's just make sure that we understand the terminology. 
Christians are elected to salvation. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 1, Paul, of course, these are Peter rather, this is just the introduction to Peter's first epistle. Uh, and he tells, identifies himself, and he says to whom he is going to be addressing his remarks. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, and to obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Well, there's that word, right? To whom was Peter addressing this epistle? To the elect. Well, there's the word. That's the very word we're talking about, right? What is an election? An election is a choosing, really, isn't it? Wouldn't that be a synonym to the idea of an election? A choosing? And so God did some choosing. When we think about elections, we think about a voting booth, and there wasn't any voting booth involved here, but when we think of a voting booth, we choose a candidate, right? When we go into the voting booth to cast our vote. So there was no voting booth here, but God did a choosing, God did an election. So God chose some. Now there's an associated word here, and that's the word foreknowledge. It speaks of these people being elect according to the foreknowledge of God. uh, 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 That's an associated word with the idea of God's election, is God's foreknowledge. God knew who would be saved before He ever formed the world. He elected who would be saved. He knew who would be saved. There's another familiar associated word in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. We have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His word. Will, rather. Counsel of His will. Predestination. That, that's not a word that we typically ever use except in religious discussion, right? But certainly the New Testament describes a predestined group of people. Predestination. So, elect. God made an election. He foreknew those who would be saved. He predestined those who would be saved. When you put all that together, it has led some people to the conclusion uh, and formation, actually, of a doctrine that says God arbitrarily chose Are we back? No, we're back. I don't know what that was. Uh, There there are those who have formulated this, this doctrine that God arbitrarily chose the people who would be saved. Uh, Some would be saved and others would not. And it was just sort of random picking. Uh, I, I choose you and you and you, God says. And I reject you and you and you. And that's the idea of predestination, foreknowledge, and election. That, of course, that that doctrine's been around for a long, long time. John Calvin sort of formulated that as one of the basic foundational principles of his system of theology that we refer to as Calvinism even to this day. And the very first tenet of Calvinism is unconditional election. God just arbitrarily chose. Now, is that right? Based upon what we've read so far, God's people are elect. He foreknew them. He predestined them. Is this idea 
of unconditional election that John Calvin taught. And so many people believe that in the world today. Is that true? And we have to answer with an emphatic no. In the text that Eric read for us earlier from Acts chapter 10, in Acts chapter 10, beginning verse 34, when Peter went to the household of Cornelius, remember Cornelius was to be the first among Gentiles to receive the gospel. Peter didn't know that going into this episode, but he has become aware that now not just Jews, but Gentiles alike are invited into the kingdom of God. Acts 10, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of person, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. How could you say that much plainer? God is no respecter of persons. Well, Calvinism says that he is, right? Calvinism says he chose some and not others. You're in, you're out. Not based on anything other than just an arbitrary choosing. That would be a respect of persons, wouldn't it? The English Standard Version there says, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. That's pretty clear, isn't it? A very plain statement is in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so, how do we put that all together? Yes, Christians are elected to salvation. But we have to conclude that that election, that foreknowledge, that predestination was not an arbitrary choosing of certain individuals, but rather that God chose the class or group of people that would be saved. God chose that all who will hear the truth, believe it, and obey it will be saved. He elected, He chose, He foreknew and predestined all who would hear the truth and believe it and obey it. Those would be the ones who would be saved. This is really the only explanation that works, isn't it? When we read those terms like election, foreknowledge, and predestination, if you just stop there, you might be led to the false conclusion that many have jumped to that it's just all on God. He just picks. Doesn't matter. He picks you. He doesn't pick you. You might be led to that conclusion, but you've got to harmonize that. Before you jump to that conclusion, harmonize it with the idea that God wants all men to be saved. And he's no respecter of persons. And so the only explanation concerning this election of God is that he, he made the determination. He chose that he would save those who were obedient believers. That's the only way. That's the only answer, isn't it? It has to be so. Now, with that in mind, let's talk about this sense in which the election is over. And no recounting is necessary in this election because God is the one who cast his vote for us. Uh, this is really a special thing if you stop to consider it. God cast a vote for us. He cast the deciding vote that we would be saved based upon faith and obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As uh, Americans, we have been taught to appreciate and value our right to vote. Uh, candidates plead their case to us in an effort to win our vote, right? And so... Political candidates go all over and they have 
town halls and meetings and rallies in which they explain their positions. And what they're trying to do is convince you that you should vote for them. And so they work at that end to gain your vote. Well, think about this. God voted for you and me. God cast his vote. You know, a a candidate works hard to get you to vote for them. In this sense, God voted for us. And that is an amazing thing. In Romans chapter 8, verse 33, beginning, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. There's the thing we want to pick out of that passage. We are God's elect. But there's actually a significant difference here between what a candidate does who tries to win our vote and what God did in voting for us. Uh, In human elections, the candidates try to earn our vote, try to convince us to vote for them. They, they, They try to persuade us that they deserve to be elected. That's not the case here. God cast His vote for us not because we were wonderful and deserved it, but simply as an act of His amazing love and mercy and grace. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let none of us ever develop the notion or idea that we earned God's vote. We did not. We did not. It was based upon His love and mercy and grace. And so I hope we can all sort of dwell on that, you know. A a, a candidate in a political election feels honored if you vote for him. He worked to get you to vote for him. We should feel honored that God voted for us. We didn't deserve it, not in any stretch of the imagination we deserve it, but God voted for us. That's a special thing, and we ought to be so grateful. Now, following up on that, We want to point out that no other vote matters. God is the one who makes this determination. God's vote is the only vote that counts. No other vote matters whatsoever. For instance, it doesn't matter what your friends think about you, what your family thinks about you, what your preacher says, what the church you attend teaches. Unfortunately, when it comes to religious matters, People make choices based on such as that, right? Friends and family and preacher and church. My friends, all my friends agree with me about this or that. All my friends do what I do religiously. And my family, I'm doing the same thing that my parents did before me and their parents did before them. Family, I mean, it's got to be okay because my family has been doing this for a long time. And my preacher, by the way, my preacher says so. And that carries a lot of weight with me because, you know, he has some high-ranking theological degrees. He's got a lot of letters behind his name. He is an educated fellow, and my preacher says so. And the church where I go, this is, this is what we believe. This is our doctrine. We have our own creed. It's a published creed. Uh, and, and the church has been following this creed for some time, and we're, and we're very big. In fact, the church I go to is the biggest church in town. Everybody goes there. Does any of that matter? 
Does any of that that we just described, does any of that have any significance at all? And the answer, of course, is absolutely not. In Matthew 7, you remember well, beginning verse 13, Jesus said, Enter at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. You know, the fact of the matter is, if we're just taking votes, many are on the path that leads to destruction, and only a few are in the way that leads to life eternal. What are you talking about votes here? Many are voting in the direction that leads to damnation, and only a few are voting in the right way, right? But of course, none of that matters. God casts the only deciding vote. But I want to tell you, Nobody else's opinion about that matters. And the fact of the matter is the majority of people are going to be absolutely wrong about that in the final analysis. In 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 1, Peter said, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, and many will follow. Notice, there will be false teachers. Many will follow. You know who some of those false teachers could be? Some of those false teachers could be the very people we were describing. My friends, they could be telling me wrong. My family could be misleading me. That preacher could be telling me religious error. The church where I go could be practicing that which is not authorized in the Scriptures. And if I put my confidence in those things, if that, I think, is the determining vote here, I'm all wrong. I'm all wrong. And I'm in great spiritual danger. The only vote that counts is God's vote. And he describes that vote to us in the pages of these holy scriptures. That's where we learn what it takes to be saved. Let me flip this coin just a minute, though. Here's something good in regards that nobody else gets to vote besides God. Here's something good. Our enemies, our detractors, our accusers, they don't get to vote either. Family, friends, preacher, and church don't get to vote, but neither do those who are our enemies and detractors and accusers. Think about that. Uh, every politician has enemies, right? Uh, I suppose that that would be a, an absolute true statement. Every political candidate has enemies. But we have enemies too, right? But they don't get to vote in regards to our eternal salvation. In Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul had been arrested and he was defending himself against charges that hadn't even really been formally placed against him. But he was explaining his life. And and in this section, he was actually explaining his conversion to Christ because before he became a Christian, we remember that he was a terrible persecutor of Christians. And in Acts 26, beginning verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I want you to really emphasize this. Paul said, I cast my vote against them. Do you see that? There was some voting taking place there, right? Paul said, I was involved in casting votes. 
Who is he casting votes for? He was casting votes against Christians, right? Now, again, Paul's telling how it was before he was converted. But he said, I was voting. I was voting to throw Christians in prison. I was voting to have them put to death. Christians were being voted against, but it didn't change God's election at all, right? And so, while we likely will never have a vote cast against us to put us to death, hopefully not a vote cast against us to put us in prison, but it doesn't matter, whatever happens, because God's vote is the only vote that matters, and even our enemies can't change that election process. All right, now, we could stop right there, and really, when you sum that all up, That's a wonderful thing. That's really wonderful. God voted for you. Can you imagine that? Can you can you take that in? God voted for you. What a wonderful thing. Everything sounds good up to this point, but hang on a minute. Be aware that your election can be revoked by our elector, right? Our elector is God, and he can revoke your election. Oh, wait a wait a minute, just a minute. Uh, you mean that even after I've been elected to salvation, I could be lost? Now, remember how God elects us. We talked about that, right? He elects to to save those who hear, believe, and obey, and so that's a conditional election. It's a very important thing. God's election is a conditional election. Right? It's not unconditional. It's Conditional. Look in Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter one, beginning verse five. Supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are in you and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to what? Confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, think about that for a minute. You you need to put forth diligence. You need to confirm your election. The word if says you could... Notice he said, if you practice these things, you will never fall. If you practice these things. What if you don't practice these things? You see the implication, obviously, right? If you practice these things, you will never fall. But if you don't, you could very well fall. And so the notion of once saved, always saved is what we're really talking about here, isn't it? It's a false doctrine. We've talked about it plenty of times in the past, and there's so many passages of Scripture that prove the idea that once saved is not always saved. That you can lose your salvation. It's not over till it's over. It's not over till judgment day. And so, all this good news about God electing us, wonderful news, but be aware. Your election can be lost, therefore you need to give diligence. Bottom line, this is the only election that matters. I'll tell you, I I know I speak for lots of you all, we're troubled, we're alarmed, we're discouraged, about the current election. There's so much uncertainty. 
We believe, many of us believe, that there are enormous consequences to the outcome of this current election. Uh, I think that is certainly true. But I'll tell you, all of that, all of that pales in comparison to this eternal election which God has done for us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning verse 2, Paul says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the sight of God our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. What a wonderful thing. God has elected those who will be saved. And so the final question of our lesson this morning comes to all of us who are here. God has elected you to salvation. What we mean by that, as we've explained, is if you will hear and believe and obey, you can be saved. Now the question is to you. Are you one of God's elect? Have you obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. Have you, have you done those things necessary to be in that elect group of people that God has chosen to save? If you have not, we hope you'll make that decision without delay. We'll be glad to assist in your obedience. We'll be glad to study more with you. Let us know. And to the rest who have already become Christians, remember what we said. You can lose that election. It's, you've got to maintain diligence. You've got to work and grow and serve God faithfully. And if you feel that you have not done that, we beg you to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song. <laughs>